0: To make your way to your seat here tonight does anybody I, i've got one two three going once going twice i have three purple books this is the final night this is yours it's yourn if anybody wants if you said pastor i still like to start it i can have it if you want it it's yours you have i know it's it, this is the final night of it tonight all right anybody else tonight this is it it's going once going twice because we're wrapped up with it, but you can still use it for personal devotion. Or a Christmas gift, yeah. Repackage that. Huh. Um, but let, let's go ahead and jump right in here to the lesson tonight. Obviously, that's the new word that we've been saying amongst ourselves recently. Obviously, that comes to me personally from a little red-headed granddaughter named Anna, Bossy Britches Mueller. And because she said last week, obviously, granddad, just like that. So it's been on my mind ever since then. So, nonetheless, here we are, Purple Book. We began this journey over a year ago, didn't we, Jace? When it over a year. And I told Jace today, I said, Ob- there have been times that I have historically uh, got diverted because my attention span could not last that long on this long of a study. But we have been able to stay focused. We've been able to make this journey. And I came here, I don't know, I know if you're all the way in the back, you probably cannot see what's on this board here tonight. But tonight being the final lesson of well over a year of Wednesday night studies, I want to have a review. And then I'm going to jump into the final concluding subject here tonight, building upon first Jason, then Shane's teaching. Says here, purple book, Biblical Foundations for Building Strong Disciples. Let's take a moment and think about that. Part of our spiritual journey is learning, isn't it? You really believe that? I mean, I I do. I believe part of our of our journey in the maturation of our faith is we have to learn to become a student. The term disciple here comes to us out of the New Testament. Uh, in this sense, and it means to be a pupil. It's, in the first century, it was to be a pupil in a particular school of thought, and Jesus was known as a rabbi. That's why you see him in many passages called rabbi. And so, we are, are now that you don't see the term disciple carried over into the New Testament epistles like it was in the Book of Acts and certainly in the Gospels. But this principle still applies. You know, Jay shared with you on Sunday night about our upcoming theme for our rebranding of Sunday School into grow, grow classes or something. I mean, grow is our in the intent, and it's coming from 1 Peter 2 and 2. 1 Peter 2 and 2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. 2 Peter chapter 1 says, Add to your faith virtue, and then to virtue, knowledge. And then he goes further, he says, that you may grow in the grace or in the knowledge of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there has to be something inside of us that says, I need to have a depth of my, of my understanding as it relates to biblical issues. I can't, too many times in scripture, the people of God are reproved for ignorance. Ignorance is something that's correctable, isn't it? Right? This is something that all of us can uh get on a journey of life and you can start a process of self-education i think that's why in first john chapter number two the apostle says that you have an anointing first john two and 27 was a scripture that got my heart years and years ago it says you have an anointing and you have no need for any man to teach you stop right there do not leave because you're thinking well pastor brown if i don't have any need for a man to teach you why am i here listening to you Certainly the principle there is, in the contrast of competing spirits, voices, judging the spirits, we have no. We have a dependency upon the Holy Spirit. You can get along with God. You can have Mary at the feet of Jesus moments, can't you, where you desire His Word. You can grow. And the end result is you become a strong disciple, a faith-filled disciple. Um, part of this journey, the reason why Jace chose the Purple Book for us over a year ago, was And to one degree, it's like a production manager. It's like a production line. You start out with a base product, you have an end product in design. Those of us that were in the military, how many of you remember your journey of signing up, going through basic training, uh, being stripped of your identity? I can remember, took my hair off, took my clothes off, took my identity, took everything Uh, took almost every my reason for living (laughs) and then they repackaged me and redesigned me and then several weeks later I emerged on the other side an entirely different human being than when I started that journey and those principles and these some older men that are here and women that are here tonight that are veterans themselves some of those very same principles are still with us to this day things that we learned all the way back in a short window of time. So we became something. We became a soldier. Well, we were designing strong disciples. So we began this study with sin and salvation. We just feel like it's very important that we understand the concept of sin, right, that we understand the concept. You're very fast up there, Lori, so we appreciate you. And um, sin and salvation, this journey took us into a garden called Eden it took us into a moment where transgression Romans 5 you have to understand sin where it says Romans 5 New Testament by one man sin entered the world and death by sin in that first lesson we learned that men sin we were all we all died in adam Romans 5 says we all died in adam And thus, we were incapable of producing salvation, redemption. But Jesus, but God in the person of Christ provided salvation. So we started this journey because if you don't have a knowledge of sin, you'll never have a a need in your mind. You'll never conceive that you have a need for salvation if you don't have a knowledge of sin. Does that make sense? That's why there's still merit to the Mosaic Law. I know y'all hate hearing that. There's still merit to it because Paul said it's our schoolmaster. By it is the knowledge of sin. It comes to reveal that we are all sinners. We needed a Savior. So then we were brought into this concept, lordship and obedience. And it was our own uh, Jace Holmes that illuminated us. I'm going to call you out on this, Jace, in a very positive way. That this was really one of the major arguments of the first century. It was the lordship of Jesus Christ. That was the point of dissension in the first century because... Uh, the the church was birthed in the midst of the roman culture and there were a plurality of gods and they didn't care that you worshiped gods diverse gods they themselves worshiped diverse gods the grecian the hellenistic culture that you read about that was still a part of the roman culture in athens remember i mentioned on sunday the bible says paul said he found altars to all kinds of gods you know and they weren't bothered by that what was the difference the lordship to the, to the Roman, Caesar was Lord. But to the first century Christian, Jesus was Lord. But to the 21st, or the, are we the 21st or the 22nd century now? What, 21st, 21st century? I know it's always a one ahead, kind of gets confused. You know what? Jesus still has to be our Lord. He can't just be your Savior. He's got to be your Lord. And as Lord, that's identifiable by your obedience to Him. I've been going on tag-teaming with my sermons on Sunday. Jesus himself said, why do you call me Lord, Lord and not do the things that I tell you to do, right? Uh, I mean, the reality is, even to this very day, I'm going to challenge you with a statistic. To this very day, 67% of America is Christians. Yeah, right. But 67% profess faith in Christ. But I'm going to tell you today, 67% of the people walking around in these United States have not made Jesus their lord right and so but you and I have i hope right and so we're learning about obedience conforming our will um not my will I mean you know, that's a part of your spiritual growth is learning to say not my will father but thy will be done so we learn this well then I felt like if there was one lesson that was a little bit out of context, I thought this one should have split these two, but that's just me. Here was repentance and baptism. Repentance, I made the statement on Sunday. I said it begins in your heart, extends through your head. It actually means change of mind. The word repentance actually can be what's called a 180. You're going this direction, you turn around, and you go the other direction. Repentance, you know, repentance is not just being sorry for something. We, we, we've co mingled at times being sorry for something and repenting of sin or sinful behavior or lifestyle. I have many times felt sorry for something, professed it, but I never changed my behavior. I never really repented. Because when I repent, I change my behavior. Let me give you an example of this Judas of Iscariot walked into the, the temple. After he betrayed Jesus, he had 30 pieces of silver that had been given to him by the Sanhedrin. And in remorseful heart, he threw it down at the feet of the, uh, of the, of the priest. He was sorry for his action, but he didn't repent. Rather, he went out and he hung himself. Peter, Peter denied the Lord three times. And he got caught on the third time when Jesus was being moved from Pilate's Hall uh, on or from Caiaphas's house to Pilate's Hall. There was a, a strategic moment when their eyes met, right when the rooster crowed the third time. And Peter remembered the words of the Lord. The Bible says he went out and he wept bitterly, wept bitterly. But he repented before God, and God raised him up and used him, to bring the first Christian message on the resurrection of Jesus. Come on, somebody, amen? So there's repentance. So we talked about that, and we also talked about water baptism, and we looked at the different modes of baptism. We looked at its purpose. And, and that if you've not been water baptized, let me encourage you. If you have a profession of faith in Christ, an authentic conversion, and you have not been water baptized, you need to see a pastor tonight so we can get it scheduled for you because we believe in an expression of your faith. In Romans chapter 6, it speaks about, it's an exhibit of our faith, that we died with the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're raised again to newness of life. So we went through that learning process. I did the majority of teaching on chapter number 4, Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts. Now, to jump in here real quickly and push a little bit of a uh, of a tag towards our redeveloped Sunday school, if you were here Sunday night You'll know that we're going to create some new classes. In these new classes, there's going to be a cyclic of some of these teachings that maybe you missed. Maybe you came late. Maybe you're here tonight for the first time, and you're on chapter number 12, and you're like, I, "I'm just now st- I'd like to start up. Well, some of these things are going to be taught all over again, including Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts. It's going to be one of the classes that's going to be offered, because we believe in regeneration by the Holy Spirit, which means being born again. Right now you say if you're unfamiliar to the church I understand you may not know what that means but if you've been around the church a long time you understand it means you've received the indwelling Holy Spirit. Romans 8 says without the Spirit of Christ you're none of his. The reason why let me tell you this real quickly that you know that you're a Christian is not for any other reason than this right here. He sends the Father sends his Spirit into your heart. That distinguishes you between you and the person who's beside you wearing a Christian t-shirt and a Christian necklace but is not genuinely born again. What distinguishes you? You have the indwelling Holy Spirit. If you have genuine profession of faith in Christ, He breathes on you. And so we shared, we broke that down, and then we took you in. We believe that there's a difference between regeneration by the Holy Spirit and spirit baptism with spiritual gifts to follow. So we broke those down. We identified nine spiritual gifts. You want to learn more about those, then you, I want to encourage you to come to that class. Sign up for that particular class and, and then agitate those gifts in your life. Pray for God to use you. Powerful giftings of God. Are you all out there tonight? Amen. And, and, and that you're ever, The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, that chapter closes with exhorting us to earnestly desire. Those are the words of the apostle. Earnestly desire the best gifts. I want to be that church, don't you? That prays God use us and, and reveal yourself through your spiritual gifts. How about spiritual hunger slash God's word? There has to be a rekindling in our own heart and life in our desire for the Lord, His presence and for understanding of His word. Not just in knowledge, but in understanding. Correct? Right? Let me go back to again 1 Peter 2 and 2. As a newborn babe, Desire. I mean, you know, you have to stimulate that at times in your life. You have to. There are times you have to. You know, I believe that that's what prayer does. In my personal opinion, I believe prayer. I'm going to probably start, unless something changes, the calendar of 2020 by going into a new little emphasis on my Sunday mornings on prayer, because I have found that in my own personal life that when I am pursuing after God in prayer then every part of my spiritual person finds its place. As much as I value the Word of God, and I'm a Word man, I'm a wor- you know, I was born out of the Word of Faith movement. I believe in the Word, I profess the Word, I confess the Word, I want to walk in the Word and live in the Word. But even God's Word can grow dull and dim because of my fleshly appetites. But when I find myself in prayer, I'm mortifying those fleshly appetites, and it creates in me a desire... For the word of God and the presence of God. So we brought you into that. That's important, isn't it? How many you believe that? It's important. Uh, it's easy to slip into complacency. Well, that was a good point. That's probably, that'll go down in the top five, you know, spiritually proficient things that I've ever said to no amens. That's going to go into it. it, it I'm going to just tell you, it's easy to slip into complacency. It's just easy to get in your own little world. You're not concerned about spiritual things, or you're 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 dictated by our physical man. The apathy, the appetite of the of the old Adamic nature, that fleshly man. Prayer is the greatest place for you to mortify that man, put him to death. That's what it means, put him to death. The prayer calls it. That's between you and God, isn't it? That's that sacred cello. That's that sacred hallowed place. And then we talked about discipleship and leadership. And we start seeing a little bit of a transition here. But about a learning of, of, of conformity to the will of God. And truly seeing some of these things lived out on a regular basis. And then the development of leadership in your life. That everybody, I tell this, I've said this for so many years. I will, I, I expect to echo it until the, the, my dying breath. I believe everybody needs a pastor. I just believe everybody needs somebody in their life that's a shepherd That somebody that can encourage you and instruct you and 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 help develop you, right? That will say things to you that will you know build you up, reprove you if necessary, right? I I just believe that, and so there's there's God wants you to be under somebody, under somebody's leadership, and and you know I I do think that that is a little bit of a um, of a little bit of a failure that we have in the American church where there, there, there's a little bit... Some churches, there's an overemphasis of this, and it becomes cult-like. But in some churches, there's no, there's no real surrendering and submitting. If you go back and you study that, that, that culture of the first century, I mean, there, there, when, when someone was in leadership, that was a very that was a prominent role. I'll give you an example real quick. Let me take it. Joe just made this statement before. He said, when you look at sports, and your children are involved in sports... The coach is very, very important because if you're, how many of you have had kids involved in sports, deeply involved, vested, football, basketball, baseball, soccer, anything like that, you think for a moment of time, you think that person, that male or that female that's that coach is going, volleyball, I'm sorry, Miss Ann, I almost left you out, but I saw you back there. I got you. And right there, table tennis, uh, badminton, um, you, right, what, anything, uh, dominoes. Okay, there we go. Now, Kim's in now. All right. <laughs> so, but that coach, you think about it, that coach is going to be with your child more than any other person probably other than the parent in their life. You know, really, when you think about that, and my sons, for sure, I mean, matter of fact, there were times they were with that person more than they were with me. And so in that moment of time, you, that person, I mean, he's going to be sowing so much into the life of that individual uh, both in character and different things. And I, I don't know if any of you watched the, the uh, Heisman Trophy presentation on Saturday night. I mean, some of you may have did, some of you. I Me and Sherry cried, even though I, I'm an anti-LSU, I'm as anti-Tiger fan as there is. But I cried because I, I just see that, I see that bond. I see that, that fatherhood son in that moment when that recipient of that Heisman Trophy stepped up there and just can't hardly talk when he starts talking about his coach. And he's just like, I, I, I would go to war. I would die for that guy right there. Because that man's leadership has so affected him. So many people in church will never let a pastor have that much touch in their lives. And, and they lose out on relationship and development. I'm going to be honest. That's a failure in the American church. You don't see that in the Eastern culture. The Eastern culture, they bring you up in that family lineage where you respect and honor those leaders that are above you. So let's jump over here. Well, then we go from leaders. Well, it's not just us pastors. They're spiritual family. Right? And church life. Don't you love the church? Not just the building, but the people. Right? Right in the old adage, here's the church. This is the steeple. Here's all the people. Something like that. Right? Here's all the people. You know, this is who we are. This is our friends, our family. This is the people that we fight with and pray for. And I mean, fight in the good sense and occasionally in the bad sense. And it is a family. You know, one of the things that grieves me the most um, about being a pastor and stuff, I see people fragment away from the body at times over the smallest of things. They get offended over the littlest of things. And I get so grieved. Why? Why do we let things like that bother us so much that we will no longer worship in a family or amongst a family that we believe in because somebody said this or somebody did that. And in the overall scheme of life, it's so small. You know, live your life and say, give, give people grace. Can I help you tonight? Give people grace. That's part of your growth. Give people grace. You're not perfect, and neither are they. And so give them grace. Let them grow. They're, every now, I'm going to just tell you right now, I want every one of you a part of this assembly. I want you here, and I'm so grateful you're here. But guess what? There's going to come a moment somebody's going to say something that's going to bother you. Somebody's going to do something. Don't take it so seriously that you're ready to run away from the fellowship. And find a way. Isn't that why Jesus said, he said, if you have ought in your heart against your brother, is that why Matthew 18, we're just to go to them. We're not to, you know, start well. What if, sometimes people do something and they don't even know they did it. They don't even know that you couldn't hear the rest of the message that the preacher was preaching because you're still stewing. Over the fact that somebody got your parking spot in the, in the parking lot. right? Well then go to that person. that's what you. Find a way, is what I'm saying. Make it compatible. Make it come together. That's what the being a body and a family is. Then we learn prayer and worship. A new lesson, new course that's going to be taught by our own bearded psalmist. Amen. That's going to be a very excited, exciting class as well. Prayer and worship. How many of you know you have to learn? Jesus' disciple, one of the things that they asked him specifically to teach them was how to pray. You have to learn how to pray. Hello? And you have to learn. It's like I had to learn how to be a soldier. I had to learn how to be a basketball player. I had to learn how to, you have to learn how to pray. You have to learn how to relate to God, communicate with God, what, what to say, what not to say, right? How to posture yourself, how to present yourself. You have to learn those things. And is that my phone? Who am I with the dinger on? I told myself not to do that. And it's my family. I knew it, those children. Prayer and then worship. From prayer, we transition into worship. Right, worship. Worship is more than this, isn't it? But it's obedience, isn't it? Worship is becoming obedient to the Lord. Go. Yes, that's exactly right. That happened so I would be more patient with people. Faith and hope. Hope. So then we learned about, that, that, about these principles that are a part of these spiritual principles. 1 Corinthians 13 mentions three, faith, hope, and love. These are, the, these are pillars uh, in the kingdom of God, faith and hope. And we, do, we talked about diversity in faith and, and hope that leads to faith. From there, we journey to biblical prosperity and also slash generosity. Let me comment on this one time very quickly because this was one thing that I was very proud for the purple book because they didn't just take us into the biblical route of prosperity to get to get to get to get gain to get gain to get gain but that we Deuteronomy 8 and 18 listen to this very carefully it says it is the Lord thy God that giveth thee wealth that he may establish giveth thee the power to get wealth excuse me Deuteronomy 8 and 18 it is of course this is to covenant Israel it is the Lord thy God, which giveth thee the power to get wealth, slash, that he may establish his covenant on the earth. How many know you're blessed to be a blessing? You have to learn to be a giver. You have to learn to value, where is it at? Did you know some people are still offended by that? Mm, well, it got real quiet in here, didn't it? Y'all thought I was going to take an offering up tonight, right? No, some people are still offended by this, in the church, still bothered by it. I'm gonna tell you, you gotta get over it. Search the scriptures. It's been a part of the kingdom of God since the Genesis, and it'll be a part of the kingdom of God until Jesus comes. Is it misused at times? Is it abused at times? Absolutely. Just because there are some that abuse it doesn't mean everybody's abusing it, right? And so, but you need to learn, you need to learn about tithing and giving and 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 you got a purpose in your heart. I can't dictate it for you, can I? Just like shame can't dictate the sincerity of your worship, I can't dictate the sincerity of your generosity. Wow, got real quiet in here. That's number six on the all-time best list. Number 11, evangelism and world mission. And then we talked about that you're an ambassador for Christ. I think Jace taught that lesson and started that process off, didn't he? With the, that we're ambassadors for Christ and we learn how to share our faith. And you, become a des- you have a desire to share your faith, right? You know, first with your own family and then with your coworkers. And you just want to be available to the Lord. You want to be a light. And I came in, and my part of the lesson on evangelism was, it was the passage that was the most dear to my heart was in Peter's epistle that says, be ready to give answer to every man to the hope that lies within you. And I'll use this analogy. You don't necessarily have to, if you work in an office, come in on a monday after a dynamic sunday morning service and push the the contents of your desk back and climb up on the desk and start re- yelling repent for the kingdom of god is at hand in order to be an evangelist do you but if every day you live life consistently if every day that you go through the ups and downs of life but your faith remains the same it remains steady You're focused. You're living for God. People start seeing how you act and react to situations. They start seeing how you're tempering yourself. Everybody else is exploding because there's bad news, but you are tempered because of self-control on the inside. That's sending a message to those that are around you, and they're going to ask you one day. At some point in time, that point of conversation is going to come. They're going to want to know about your faith, and you're going to have an opportunity to be able to share your faith. And now certainly you also want to be li- listen to the Holy Spirit if he whispers in your ear and says go here go there and share you want to do that equally as well. And then we also tagged World Missions. And I'm so grateful to be a part of a fellowship, a historic fellowship that believes in the work of missions around the world. I've got a letter on my desk that I was going to I may br- I was going to bring in on Sunday morning but I'll go ahead t- I may not then I'll tell you real quickly. You know I've been preaching about light yeah okay yeah i've been preaching about light and jesus the light of the world there's a letter that came in from one of our missionaries and it comes to us from the red light district in india and it comes to us from project rescue that our church has been a part of giving for many 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 years that was started by death excuse me david and i believe beth grant and they started an outreach in India to the young girls and girls, the women that were caught in the sex trafficking, the sex trade, many, many, many long years ago. And, um, and so from that, they've been able to go in and rescue. It's what's called Project Rescue, pulling those girls out of the darkness and bringing them into the light. And the story was told of this one woman who is now a strong disciple for Jesus. But her story is... They had talked to her while she was on the streets to try to get her in or her daughter to come into Project Rescue, and she refused. And then one night, her daughter was captured, raped, and killed on the streets of India. And she was so broken as a result of it that she went to Project Rescue. She lived with the anguish, the self guilt of why if I had come earlier I could have possibly spared my daughter however God, she got genuinely saved God's healed her not, not that she doesn't experience loss not that she doesn't still feel the sting of grief in her life but she's radically changed radically transformed she serves there helping other young other ladies herself because somebody in Heber Springs put a $50 check in an envelope and wrote world missions on it and folded it up and sent it our way and we sent it to Springfield and from Springfield it made its way all the way around the world to help them have the resources to go come on church family that's powerful that's what we're a part of that's what you're a part of tonight that's a strong disciple when you become so here we are lastly tonight the lesson's gonna be I'm gonna be like Dr. Brassfield the longest introductions and the shortest messages resurrection and judgment it's the final one. And Jace and Shane have really done such a fantastic job. They have not left me much to, to, uh, to really have to, to, to go in. And this was a very complicated lesson, I don't, and I need to be able to talk to you. And so I've got to make a short lesson. I'm going to make short work of this tonight. Is that all right? Because they've done such a fantastic job. I, this lesson, you've got there were two. I'm with the last. If you've got your book, I'll just show you real quickly. I'm going to make a summary more tonight if I can because some of this I taught in chapter 2. Some of this was taught. I jumped ahead. I just I, rem- I, I taught it out of order, and I jumped ahead into some of this in chapter 2. Many of you remember this. Let's go back real quickly. I'm at lesson number 3. There's the judgment of sinners. Lesson number 4, the judgment of saints. That's what they left me, right? Uh, th- isn't that where I was at? You left me those. Did you all happen to see these two lessons? There was 16. Uh, 16- no, there was 21 scriptures on one. And... Uh, I don't know, about 25 on the other. And so there's simply no way that I could take you through that in that entire process. So I'm, I simply summarized it very, very quickly tonight. Uh, going back to that, Shane, or, or I, think, I think Jace talked more about resurrection, the coming of the resurrection and, and that the hope of the resurrection and kind of trying to enlighten your eyes to it's not just about going into heaven Right? But our hope is the resurrection of the dead and the recreation of all things. Right? That's the, that was the, the Jewish hope. That was the belief that, that, that there's, an, and I believe, I hold to that today, I, I, and you do as well. So, and then Shane took us into the justice of God and that, that delicate balance there of distinguishing how that a God of love can still be a God of justice. That was a very powerful lesson last week. And it leaves me here to just kind of compact this together and talk about there are two judgments that you can, for the most part, that traditional Christianity holds to in the coming uh, consummation of all things. Those are the words that are typically used in the semi-uneducated theological world, the consummation of all things. In the consummation of all things, we believe that there are at least two judgments. One is the judgment of all people, and the other is the judgment seat of Christ. And they're differentiated some. The first one would be called, it might be called the general resurrection. But let's go to this particular passage in Matthew's gospel. Are y'all there? Well, Shane's here. When I say things like, are you there? It's a good place to say, yes, I'm here, amen, so be it. I have to retrain you. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. Let's read that tonight. It's a familiar passage. It's Jesus' parable. The Son of Man shall come, when he shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him. Then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations. And he shall separate them one from another. As the shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So the two lessons, real quickly, that I was to teach was the judgment of sinners and the judgment of saints. So we're going to compile these together for just a moment of time. For I was a hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. Sick, and you visited me. In prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? Or when saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Now notice this. Let's look very close at these last five verses, or six verses. Then shall he say unto them. So look, this is a parable. Jesus said, when the Son of God has come in all His glory. So we might suppose, despite what we call eschatological differences of in time, this is the end of all things. We can just suppose that He's speaking of the end of all things, where uh, what, whether you believe in a pre, mid, a post, or no tribulation, or any of those, so when all that is settled and millennial and everything is gone, this is the final judgment of all right here. And he says here in the 41st verse, when when all the nations of the world are gathered before him, he says, I will say unto them on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungered, and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in. Verse 44, then they shall answer, saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungered? And then he simply says that if you've done it to the least of these, verse 45, you did it. Or if you didn't do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And then verse 46, we're tying that to verse 41. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Now, that speaks, if that's a a parable, it's still, maybe it's a parable, but it seems to be speaking of a futuristic moment at some time at the consummation of all of human history when God himself... Revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, is going to have all peoples before him, and he's going to gather them into two groups. And that's why you hear us say things like today: there are only two types of people on the earth: saved and unsaved, righteous and unrighteous. Sheep and goats. Does that make sense? Light, children of the light, children of darkness. I think that's a consistent teaching with Jesus, don't you? What he's saying. There's a particular word, I'm going to go ahead and erase, that we want to take note of. I went ahead and brought some notes out. I don't think time's going to allow me tonight to go back over some of the things that i taught you way back in lesson number two when I just kind of deterred and went off of it. There's a particular word that you've got to take close uh, attention to here, right here. Anybody know what that is? I know you probably can't see it because I used the blue marker. What's that say? Ever what? Everlasting. Can your finite mind grasp that really in its full measure? Just just in the peripherals, right? Just in the, maybe a perimeter of it. We don't really fully know what that means and encompasses. My mind, we know beginning and end. That's all we know. We know daytime, nighttime. We know start, stop. Right? But we're talking about a continual existence with no clock, no sun, moon, no darkness, no night, any of that nature. We see everlasting, correct? That term everlasting is used to describe hell or a lake of fire in that particular instance, which sometimes is used interchangeably but not always. Everlasting doesn't go away. Correct? Well, that, that's the belief that eternal punishment is exactly that. It's everlasting. And then we see the word everlasting applied to heaven. Correct? This is consistent throughout the Gospels, just so you'll know, because there is a doctrine, what is it called, Jason? Annihilism, where everything, where, where people, uh, an, where an, annihilation, where they, where where they cease to exist. So they, God would take uh, the unrighteous and they would no longer exist. But the, 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 the argument that contradicts that is that the word everlasting that's described in heaven is also describing someone in everlasting fire. So if, he, if you can cease to exist in the lake of fire, then you could cease to exist in heaven in that concept. Well, we don't believe that, do we? We believe we'll be eternally with the Father so, if you have rejected God, I think that's why the writer of Hebrews used such strong language. If you've trodden underfoot the blood of the Son of God and have considered the covenant that you were sanctified an unholy thing, then there's everlasting damnation. That's the judgment of all people, correct? Now, if we were to put all this together in Revelations 20 and 15, it speaks about, and that hell gave up the dead that were in it, and they were cast into a lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are. And if that's a literal interpretation, and for any other argument than that tonight, that's the only reason, the only one I'm going to take. I'm going to take it literal. I know there are different viewpoints at it, but we're going to take it literal tonight, and we're going to say it is our belief that when the judgment of all people that when people stand before God and in accordance to the book of Revelation I didn't write that text down there I don't think it's this one but in Revelation if your name is not found written in the book of life there it is verse 15 then you will be cast into what everlasting fire where the bible says and speaks of eternal eternal excuse me punishment now that's a part of the gospel isn't it I made the statement on Sunday. I repeated what Shane shared with us on Wednesday night. He asked his son, uh, Caleb, Caleb, why'd you get saved? What would he say that, that rich theological response that he said, I didn't want to go to hell. I mean, That's not a bad thing to, to hold on to, isn't it? Isn't there something here that says when you're exposed to sin and the penalty of sin, and we understand that we all uh deserve this and christ died for us i want to escape that there's something in me that just says i want to escape the lake of fire and i know we don't have time to develop the argument how can a loving god uh cast people into lake of fire and all those things and we could dialogue that and everything but we're not going to for the sake we just simply believe that if your name's not found written in the Lamb's book of life then there's an eternal punishment for you anybody want to comment It wasn't created for man, was it? That's what you're about to say, isn't it? Yeah, Jesus himself said it was created for the devil and his angels. Why are men there? Because man has rebelled against God, and we are children of disobedience. But thank God for Jesus. That's the power of the cross. That's the power of the virtue of the blood. We don't have to experience that. We can experience eternal life, and we have eternal hope in heaven. Resurrection. I don't know what it's all going to look like. I don't know what it's going to be like when the new heaven and the new earth and it's the consummation and the world's changed. And I don't know how all that's going to be. I just know it's going to be wonderful. The old song said, won't it be wonderful there? No more burdens to bear, right? That's going to be a powerful, it's hard for we to, you know. That's why the writer says that, you know, I have not seen, earth not here, neither hath it entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those that love him. But God has revealed them to us by spirit, but we still just get little glimpses of it, don't we? We don't have a clear picture of exactly what that looks like. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, we look through a, we look through what? a glass darkly. We don't get the clearest image. We just get enough to let us know it's more glorious. Paul said in Romans 8 that the glory of the world that's yet to come is so much more glorious, it's not even right to compare the glory of this present with the glory of the world that's to come. Does that make sense to you tonight? And then there's another judgment. I've got to wrap this up because I do have to talk to you for just a few minutes. Judgment seat of Christ. What's that? Let's go to Romans chapter 14. You say, Pastor, am I really going to be judged? We're going to be judged. Even as believers, we need to know that, that we, we belong to God. You can argue with God. I like what Paul said in Romans 9. He says, shall the clay say unto the potter, why hast thou made me thus? Who are we to say, God, why? he's the potter, we're the clay. We simply respond. You're going to be judged. Well, am I, are y'all just in shock and awe here tonight? I mean, we're going to be. I mean, there, there's some, that should be a stimulus, shouldn't it? Shouldn't that be a stimulus or not? Not that we're trying to earn anything related to salvation or anything, but we recognize that there's going to come a day when we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, in the judgment seat of Christ is the belief, the traditional Christian belief, that this is not talking about someone then in turn being cast into the lake of fire. It's not talking about that. This is where our works as Christians are being judged by God. Let's read that in Romans chapter number 14, verses 10 through 12. It's on the screen. It says... And why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. See those words? We shall all stand before him. And as it is written, as I live, every knee shall bow and every tongue. But now jump over to 2 Corinthians. There's another verse there 2 Corinthians 5 and 10. Let's read that, and then I'm going to close. I have to tonight. Verse number 10, 2 Corinthians 5 for we must all, it's on the screen before, appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Look at this, that everyone, read that with me right there. That's powerful. That's conviction. There's conviction tied to that, isn't there? There's conviction tied to that in our lives. It says that we all may stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, whether it be, whatever he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So there is a judgment and there are other passages that reinforce this principle that time's not going to allow us to go to that speak about the believers having our works judged. And one of the other passages said that some of our works could be burned up as by fire. Even on that great, it says that we would still be saved is the context that said that you yourself will still be saved, but your works could be, wouldn't that be a sad day in one sense to stand before God on that great day when there could be, accolades and rewards for your faith and faithfulness, only to have your life's works burned up in the presence of God. If we're taking that literal, and for tonight we are, whether there's a spiritual application, I don't know. But if there's a literal, that ought to be a little bit of a stimulus in our heart. Not because we're trying to earn anything, but we want to be pleasing to God. Don't you want to be? I want to be pleasing to God. I don't want that one day I stand before Him and Man, everything that flashes on the screen of my life, I don't know how it's going to be. I'm going to be standing here and God's going to be watching these two screens. Fill these two screens, not be in heaven. And God's watching everything that I've done flashes in front of Him. And in that moment, everything I've done is about me, about my carnality, my fleshly appetite, my worldliness, my worldly lust, the lust of my flesh, my sensuality, all those things. Surely that's not who we want to be marked, you know, and be, be standing before God by. But surely we want to be at the place where in that moment of time, a life of faith and faithfulness. Does that make sense? A life of faith and faithfulness. What level of reward? I can't tell you. I don't know what level of reward are going to be for the, the, the children of God. I don't know what that's going to be like. All I know is, is that we have a two primary judgments that the traditional Christian church has held to. A general judgment of all people that distinguishes between those who know God and those who do, know, do not through Christ, resulting in those who are being cast into the lake of fire and a judgment seat of Christ reserved for the Christian where our works are going to be I, I, I merited, measured in the presence of God, whatever the, the, the reasoning behind that, rewards are going to be reckoned as a result of that particular moment. What that reward looks like, I can't tell you. I don't know any theologian that can, but I can say we need to be aware our life matters. Our life matters. What you do matters. The impact that you leave is not just being recorded down here, but it's recorded in heaven. And we, want to be not, we want to be aware of that as we live our lives. So that's going to conclude my part tonight. And everybody said, Amen. The resurrection and the judgment. There's a lot more I'm leaving out. You've got to study that on your own. Let's pray and let me talk to you for about 10 minutes. Father in heaven, I love you. Thank you tonight for this opportunity to be aware of eternity. God, I know that I left a lot of gaping holes in such a wide and such a broad and such a deep subject, and I left many uncovered areas, but perhaps enough of a stimulus. Father, tonight, and if there's somebody under the sound of my voice, I don't know the heart of every person here tonight. Maybe there's somebody here tonight. You just came in, you know, kind of out of the ordinary, and you're here, and you're seated in a seat, and you're like, But your spirit is just being, is pulsating inside you right now. That's the Holy Spirit. And if you don't know Christ, I want to encourage you right now, turn your heart to Jesus. Accept him into your heart and life and repent of your sins. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ so that your name can be written in the Lamb's book of life. And you'll be assured of being accepted in the kingdom of God on that great day of judgment that looms in front of all of mankind. Thank you for what we've studied. Thank you for this amazing journey that we've been on for over a year. I pray that we have helped build strong disciples in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right, we got to move on. And this is what the pastor has to do. I go from talking deep spiritual subjects to talking, who knows, about random church things. That <laughs> they're very important, but you understand what that means i'm going from a very you're talking about heaven hell demons devils judgment uh all that To okay i want to talk about wednesday night i want to talk about sunday school blah blah blah. i got just a few short minutes i want to talk about this, the service change that we talked about in here for a little bit <clears throat> we have really debated back and forth a little bit of change it's not that big of a change but we've contemplated some things we've reverted uh back to something so we're we're looking at in 2020 jojo was going to keep the youth in here with us but that has since changed at 6:30 we're going to have the worship and the worship's going to start it's going to be like it always just like it was tonight in the meantime but whenever we finish that that two to three song set of worship someone is going to come up and he's going to lead prayer over what we're going to have a new thing we're going to start it's going to be a prayer card and that prayer card is going to be made available in the foyer tw- all the time every time the doors are open Sundays and all through the week for anybody that has a, a need that they want somebody to pray for them you know people ask me on a re- regular basis pastor would you add me to your prayer list and we really don't have a prayer list we have a prayer chain prayer chains kind of reserved for you know catastrophic moments or really desperate moments but not a prayer list so now when that happens you can anybody can fill out that card and we're going to I'm going to begin to we're going to begin to teach what I call I'll be teaching this on Sunday mornings the art of intercession at that moment of time that's not about you asking God to bless you that's about you saying God man sister so and so her family's going through hell right now. And God, I came to this house tonight to lift up so-and-so, to stand in, you know, the old adage, stand in the gap and make up the hedge. That's what that moment's going to be right there. And and we're going to pray until there's a release in our heart as a body. And we, we're not going to bring you forward at that particular moment of time. We're going to pray. And when that moment, we're going to let that go. We're going to just let it flow. We're going to see what happens. If, if there's a deeper cry to intercession in that moment we'll respond to it does that make sense if there's a deeper cry of the spirit if the spirit of the lord cries out and there's a travail that's created it won't be something that we force dictate or anything but we want to respond we'll we'll allow it to happen if there's a move a sovereign move of the holy spirit then we'll we'll move but if there's not and that and that moment concludes at that moment that's when joe's going to go ahead and slip away with the youth. They're going to slip back there to the, to the back because they're going to be here with us at that particular time right there leading prayer with the car after worship. But from there, pastor or most likely a pastor, one of us, but we could ask some others, are going to come up and they're going to lead a, a they're going to share a word and they're going to give, a, that word's going to have an exhortation. It could have a preaching. It could have a teaching. Um, it could be prophetic. It could, it could connect to my Sunday morning message. That's actually kind of where we're going to. We're always going to use that as a basis. If we, it, like Sunday morning, I've been preaching about light. There's so much more. Uh, me and Jace kind of talked about this. and and, and, we're going to, and then from there, we're going to try to make this as personal as we can, this moment right here, so that what we're doing is when we finish sharing that word that God gives us, we're going to call everybody forward. We're going to, what we're going to do is we're going to try to take... You know how on Sunday mornings at the altar time, after preaching is harder than it was in days gone by? You know what I'm talking about. when that, Somebody's watch goes off every week, whether they mean to or not, it's going to go ding, ding, noon. And I'm just now wrapping up my sermon... And, you know, you'd like to have this altar service, and, but you can't always for, p- for cultural, whatever, for whatever reason. You can, but I'm just saying it's still, it's harder than what you think. You could sit in your seat and say, oh, go ahead. You're not seeing everybody's face. You're seeing people's back of the head. You're seeing a dynamic, exciting young man on the platform. Well, no wonder. But I'm seeing some people looking and ready to go and all that. So there's, there's this inner tension as pastors here. We'd like to have a greater altar experience. Well, we're going to try to tag that right here on wednesday nights how long will that last i mean not 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 per session but i'm talking about how long will we stay in this vein i don't know i don't know we're just going to go with it we just feel like that we want god we want god to give us the one jojo and i talked today we just don't want to be a church that has lost the familiarity of the altar and if you're not careful it can happen does that make sense it can happen More people come to hear us on Wednesdays than Sunday nights. My inner struggle has been, y'all know I've talked about it, the, the, the loss of the true Sunday night altar service hinders Pentecostalism. And I've done everything but spin on my head on a Sunday night, and it still doesn't affect the ebb and flow of people. But more people come to hear us on Wednesdays than on Sundays, Sunday nights. So we're going to try to seize this moment, and we're going to make the altar a familiar place instead of an unfamiliar place. Does that make sense? And so what we're doing is we're creating time for it. And whatever that means, what, what does that altar mean? It, might mean? it might mean this. It might mean prophetic words. Hello? You might have been in uh, this class, or and I'll erase the classes. You might be in Jason's spiritual gift class and you just got zealous and prayed and believed and God dropped a spiritual gift in your life, where are you going to use it at? Maybe in here on a Wednesday night, maybe God leads you to go over and lay hands on somebody, and you lay hands on them that then they're sick, but you believed God for the gift of healing in your life, and God uses you. So we're going to seek to create. Now, are we going to, are we going to gravitate away from the Word as long as I'm the pastor? No. And I hope to be, the, the, until this lesson comes to fruition here, judgment and resurrection, I hope to be the pastor. But So no, we're not going to gravitate away from the Word. We're going to have Word, exhortation, and teaching, but with a little bit different mode. We probably won't bring the board out here because I want this to be fluid. I want it to be easy for you to come here. Come on, is that a good thing, right? Listen, we, we've got to have this. The Pentecostal church was born right here. This is the flame of the altar. We need to keep the fire burning. I want to teach our church new the power of intercession. If I have a, a gaping hole in my heart towards a weakness in our church, is the fact that we have fewer and fewer intercessors. People don't even know how to do it. It's my job to help train them and teach them how to be an intercessor. I know how to do it. I know the power of intercession. I've got to do that. I'm going to start 2020 with this, and I'm going to create that. I don't know if we'll stay with this for a year like we did the Purple Book. I don't know that. But we're going to go with it for now. Is that okay? Does everybody kind of see where we're at? I, I think it's going to be exciting. We're going to probably set the culture of the, of the service a little bit more. Um, but our goal is by seven fifteen, seven twenty, the teaching exhortation has concluded, and so that we can get you moving forward in prayer. Walt, yep. all the cards that are given in that week, and we'll probably, we'll, we'll develop a system to keep them at least for X amount of time, pray over them, and so maybe for at least three months or something or until we get word back, something. We're going to do something systematic. We've tried to glean from some other churches. I, I just would like to see, I would just like to see us have a little something tangible in our hand that, again, if your family's got an issue, you know, you don't always want to carry that and pray for your all the time. You want somebody to join with you, knowing somebody's praying for you. So we're gonna, be a, we'll evolve in this a little bit. But what I like about it is, I, I like that it's going to unlock the power of intercession in you. In you. And you're going to learn, hey, my voice can be just as prophetic and just as impacting as the pastor's voice in the kingdom of God. Come on now, you can learn, uh, uh, right, like like James 5, you can learn. So we're going to teach you that. I, I feel good about it. I want to ask you all to help me. We're gonna, we'll are going we make some mistakes along the way, and we'll have to learn what works and what doesn't work. But we're modeling a little bit off of it, uh, not all of it, but off of James River Assembly in Springfield, and they still call that their greatest service. They call it the prayer meeting. So this is the one of the most... Contemporary Assembly of God churches, one of the largest Assembly of God churches, but they still call their most impacting service their prayer meeting on Wednesday night. Now ours is, theirs has teaching, ours does too, and ours will as well. But prayer, whatever that prayer looks like, whether it be intercession or prophetic prayer, we just want to see it happen. God's house is a house of prayer for all people. Amen? All right, let me talk to you about a couple other things. i got to let you out of here. It's, I know it's time. It's 7, oh, eight o'clock. i got to get to this, though. So give me just a couple minutes. All right, just real quickly. Our challenge right now, though, that we've been having is, I've got to ask you a question. For the meal on Wednesday night, one of the concerns of, especially one certain ball-headed pastor, is, is the children when they're playing out there, and they kind of get loud. Let me ask you all the questions. Does that bother you? Are you bothered by that? Yay, nay? Some yes, some no. So I got a mixed response. Some are bothered by it. Well, there's there's not there's only two ways to fix that, and that is we'd either have to feed feed the kids up there, which we've been talking about that. But I just don't know if I'm comfortable doing that. One thing that JoJo's most concerned about is the door. That door, open. Kids get up. They eat, you know they get they 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 eat in ten minutes. They want to play. You know what children want to do? I raise six. They want to play. They got energy to burn off. But we don't start. We don't open up there till six. Aaron and Chelsea's trying to get the check-in system not just for the nursery. We want to get our children checked in for children's church as well. And it's hard to do that when a parent's not the one checking them in. So I don't know what the answer is just yet, and and I've run out of time to talk about it tonight. I'll have to talk about it later. The first thing, though, that we're probably going to do when we come back from our little Christmas break is we're probably going to lock those two double doors on Wednesday night, and you can't go in or out those two double glass doors And we're going to make you come in through this main center door right here. And that way, if a child does step outside of the the gymnasium, they at least can't go out immediately into the parking area. We're trying to bring safety. I mean, we've got a, a security slash safety team that's trying to create for us the most safest environment for our children and for adults. And this building was not designed with that in mind. And so it's easy to get frustrated when you say, I want to go here, but I'm having to come in here. You know, you've got to be patient with this. We may do something for two weeks only to learn that was the wrong thing and then have to undo it. So everybody be patient with us and let us fledge our way out of it. I don't have time to talk to you about the rest of those things tonight that I had written down here. I'll, um, let me just tell you this real quickly again. Check in for children. We're coming in January... We talked. We've been telling you for weeks. Um, the kids on Sunday morning are going to be going straight up and checking in. You know, they're not going to be like at the end of Sunday school, or if you come in here at ten fifteen, you won't be bringing your children in here any longer. You're going to be checking your kids in. But we ha- we're going to decide over the next week where that check-in station is going to be. We don't want just nursery kids being checked in. We want every student, every student to have a sticker and be in our system so that that teacher, Aaron and Chelsea, say, it, say it, it's now 1045, a printout can be given to them. They can go, uh, 42 kids, and then they can go, 42 kids. And they know exactly how many children every child is checked in. That's a new thing for us, especially when your building's not designed for that. It's going to take time and patience for everybody. So it's easier to happen on Wednesday, Sunday. Wednesdays is a challenge because kids are coming in here first and not being checked in. So we got we're gonna to try to work through it. Can well, Yeah. Yes. Right. Yep. Very good point. Yes. Yes, it is. That's a very great point that Andrea brought up. And let me tell you, church family, I know I'm taking longer and they're going, in the world are the adults doing so long in there? Pastor Brown a long-winded tonight. They don't know. We've got the tension between trying to go from doing things, the old country way that we've always done. Everybody, every, it was a good, nice world. Nobody did harm. You left the doors unlocked. The church was never locked. All those things. To now we live in a different environment, right? I know you might. I, I know it's possible to go. We don't want this to be an institution. We don't want you to feel like you're in prison when you're here. But we do want you to be sitting right here knowing your children are in the safest environment possible, correct? That means we all have to work together. We have to be patient with each other in this process so if you have any ideas you ever want to talk to a pastor about it i'm leaving out a lot of things for the sake of time just know this that our pastoral staff is going to be meeting together with security over the christmas break so that we can kind of finalize some of these things so that as we come into that first sunday in january hopefully we'll have some of these things in motion okay and then again we may do it for two or three weeks only to go oops that was not the best thing. Let's do it a little different from there, because so we'll have to learn as we go. All right, anything else tonight, anybody? Father in heaven, thank you for our church family, and thank you for the privilege of being a part For myself, Shane, and Jace as teachers to this study. Um, as we look forward to 2020, we look forward to greater things. We look forward to uh, building upon what we've already learned. We, we look forward to not just learning, but putting learning into action. Uh, of how to be a disciple, how to be benevolent, how to function in spiritual gifts, to have opportunities created for us to be able to uh, to mature and to uh, to see the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Father, working in our heart and life, thank you for each person that's come out tonight. I'm so privileged to be with them. I bless them, bless their family, and look forward to coming together for Sunday morning in Jesus' name. Last thing is i let you go real quick, church family. Um, I know I keep saying that. I had a lot to say tonight. Um, Sunday morning, we got a potluck dinner fellowship following the service. Everybody knows that? You do now, but I'll be sending it to you. on the You're going to be tired of hearing you. I'm going to send the phone tree out three times, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and remind you. That is our Christmas gathering. We didn't do the Christmas uh, thing this year, and for various reasons, that's going to be it. It's going to be a great service. It's going to be powerful, but we can do it. We can make it a little bit light. My daughter Alyssa told me that we should do this, and I'll just tell you. That'll be up to you. Tell people to wear their ugly Christmas sweater if they want to. Whatever, we'll have the Christmas tree out there. You can take pictures. If you would like to do that, it'll be a festive atmosphere. We'll have a dinner following. Bring all kinds of dishes, meats, desserts, side dishes, share. Invite your family and friends. That will be our main Christmas service. And uh, we'll have a great day in the Lord. Amen? Amen? All right, thank you for being here. And I love one another.